of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. I'm the kind of person... When there's a trial and they say, don't show that photograph to the jury, it can inflame them. Dadgummit, they need to be inflamed. They need to know the truth. It's not enough to say the person was shot or the person was harmed in some other manner with a straight edge weapon. They need to see it. They are sitting in judgment of somebody's freedom and they're trying to render a verdict and give justice to a victim. Well, they need to understand exactly what happened. And violence is ugly and it is awful. And it's necessary to see it and understand it on a level that you can. And that's what we have today. So when you're talking about autopsies, police and prosecutors and crime scene investigators, they attend autopsies. And they do this because it's beneficial. It's beneficial to the medical examiner and the investigator to be able to talk about the facts of the case, to ask each other questions, to look at the pictures, to look at evidence such as shell casings, to collect evidence that you want to go on and take to the crime lab, like the victim's blood or something that is located on the victim, to bring reports and crime scene photographs. And again, have that overall understanding of what you were seeing on the victim's body and how that lines up with what you saw at the scene. It's imperative that this happens. It is sad, it's gut-wrenching, but it's necessary 
and it is a major part of the homicide investigation. Now, I'm going to tell y'all, I was working a murder with a veteran homicide detective, and it was an unusual case, and we were hoping that the autopsy would generate some answers as to how this victim died. We did not have a cause of death. So we go to the autopsy, and it's pretty standard. The medical examiner and his assistant are there performing the autopsy, and the detective and I are listening and trying to gather as much information as we can, as well as share information from the scene of the crime. All of a sudden, this detective, after watching the medical examiner and this assistant work, slides over to me and says, are you listening to this? And I said, of course I'm listening. He said, I want you to do something. I want you to listen again, but think 1970s soft porn. So I did. The very next thing that I heard was the medical examiner say, I need you to bend over a little more right there. And the assistant said, yes, doctor. Well, you can only imagine my reaction. So I started to kind of giggle. You know that laughter when you're going to laugh and it's completely inappropriate to be laughing? That's where I'm at. And then I heard the medical examiner say, now she's up on a step stool, and she's trying to get right over the injury to the victim, and he wants it right dead center. So he says, and I quote, bend over a little more. That's it, right there. And she says, yes, doctor. And then he says, can you move your hips a little forward? Hold it, hold it, hold it, right there, right there. And she says, right here, doctor? And he said, yes, right there. And she again says, yes, doctor. Well, by now, I'm about on the floor. But I will tell you, it changed how I can survive mentally an autopsy. In our world, sometimes that's what you have to do. Our humor is sometimes very dark and a little twisted. But we can't spend all of our time crying. So it's important to have that outlet. It's important to have that support. Well, I can tell you today, we've got the GOAT. We've got the best of the best. Joe Scott Morgan, welcome to Zone 7. Yeah, I need a, I need a drink of water and uh, <clears throat> maybe a shot of bourbon after that, uh, that introduction. Thanks, Cheryl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> something to kind of calm my nerves a little bit. Uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a real honor to be here. I was... Um, just thinking back uh, to all of the years that I spent working in in the autopsy room, you know, thinking back to you know how you deal with things and how you view it. Everybody has has a particular way of uh, of handling those things that you uh, you allow in through your windows of the soul, your eyes, and uh, the things you hear, things you smell, all of that. Uh, sometimes you have to, you know change it up a little bit in order to, you know, continue to survive, to climb that mountain in your career, just to, to hang in. Some days are, are better than others, but you're right. I, I tell people many times uh, that aren't used to being around the dead and as a result of that around their families who have been through these horrible events, because you're, you're really the, when you work in my field in medical legal death investigation, you're, you're really 
one-on-one to the families many, many times because you talk to them about a, a variety of different things, everything from identification to arrangements to their whereabouts, medical history. You really get to know them and the family and the family dynamic. And I think that there's a big part of us that, uh, you know, you'd like to reach out and give everybody a hug and tell them everything's going to be okay. But, you know, that costs you something when you do that. Uh, I'm a firm believer in the fact that we've got, uh, we all have kind of a, what I refer to as an indwelling love bank. And uh, at the end of the day, we're all human. There's only so much that you can give. And if you try to give it all away to everybody you come in contact with, uh, there's nothing left for those that are your family, you know, that are those that you love. And so you have to be very careful with that. It's it's something that has to be released only, uh, you know, so, uh, one of those things, you know, break glass in case of emergency. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if you went out hugging hugging everybody and trying to dry everybody's tears, there'd be nothing left of, of you. You'd be an empty shell. And many of us are empty shells. Um, but it's it's certainly uh, an honor to be with you and uh, and to chat with you today here on Zone 7. Well, it means the world to me. And just in case there's anybody listening that is not completely sure who you are, You are the author of a fantastic book, Blood Beneath My Feet. You are the host of the hit podcast, Body Bags. And y'all, that podcast is like no other. And you are a distinguished scholar of applied forensics at Jacksonville State University. And that's just a few things. But you're also a tremendous father and grandfather and loving husband and tremendous friend. Now, you've worked a whole lot of scary, humbling, crazy cases. But there's really nothing quite like this case in our world. There's really not. Uh, And without getting into the details quite yet, but, you know, just to kind of give folks uh, a baseline measurement, if you watch the news media incessantly, particularly if it's influenced by true crime, you would think that every single call that we roll on is some kind of horror show. And the sad thing about that is that it diminishes the cases that truly are horror shows. You know, you you get, I think you build up, uh, there's a numbness or maybe a a callus that's built up because right now as, as as we're chatting, there are people out on the mean streets all over this country right now doing the job that, that I used to do. I no longer do it. I teach now. There are people out there notifying families of deaths. There are people out there trying to understand things that the general public cannot even begin to imagine. And they're cases that you'll never hear about. They're they're out there everywhere. You have to look at things and try to get an idea. Many times I, I have to reflectively think about, um, you know, well, how does this case stack up compared to other ones that I've seen? You know, you find elements in every case that are similar to previous ones that you've worked or that you've reported on or that you've taught about, that sort of thing. But but when it comes to Melissa's case, I can tell you, to the best of my recollection, I don't recall a case that is like this in in this particular location geographically, if you look at the geographical profile, the nature with which her remains were treated. I think, and by extension, I think uh, going back into the anti-mortem state, how she was treated as a person in life. You can draw a lot of conclusions based upon how she was eventually found 
you can draw a lot of conclusions about what her life may have been like. And it's a very sad, sad commentary. It is. And just for the people that may be joining us, I just want to give a brief overview. So Melissa Wolfenberger went missing. She was last seen by her mom November 9th, 1998. Her husband said he last saw her December of 1998. Her husband at that time was working at a place called Action Glass. He never reported Melissa missing, never called her family looking for her, never tries to find her, never tells the children what actually happened to her, moves out of their shared home and goes to South Georgia, moves to a completely different city now, and lives under an assumed name. Then April the 29th, 1999, a severed skull is found on Avon Avenue in a single trash bag. June 3rd of 1999, arms and legs are found also in trash bags down the street from Avon Avenue. In November of 1999, mom finally starts reporting Melissa missing to law enforcement and they finally take a missing persons report. A detective from another jurisdiction gets involved and when he sees that the skull is on Avon Avenue, which is the same street where Melissa's husband worked at Action Glass. He goes to Atlanta with another Atlanta detective who already made the connection and says, hey, this has got to be Melissa Wolfenberger. We need to do some dental comparison. The remains on March the 4th, 2003, are identified as Melissa Wolfenberger. Now, one thing I want to make clear, a lot of times, y'all, we say things like she was beheaded and dismembered and we move on. She was beheaded and dismembered and we move on. The reason Joe Scott Morgan is here today is so we can talk about what that means, what your body goes through, what that entails for the killer to do. So again, we're going to talk about it. It is messy. It is gross. It is violent. It is gut-wrenching. And it is horrific to think that anybody has gone through this. But again, in our world, we don't have a choice. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, 
John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Joe Scott, to me, there's at least four crime scenes. There's where she was killed which I believe was her home that she shared with Christopher. There's the transport vehicle, which I'm going to make the assumption was his work truck. There's the disposal site. And then there's wherever her torso is. That's the progression that you have to look at. You know, when you begin to think about the deposition of, of remains, you kind of scratch your head and you think, well, you know, the individual who would be depositing remains would be somebody that would feel comfortable in the particular area where they would have to get out of a vehicle. We're assuming that they would have been in a motor vehicle unloading the remains and then taking them uh, after being unloaded individually and taking them and depositing them in a particular location. So that, that implies a level of comfort when you look at, you know, you begin to think about a suspect that might be involved in something like this. Because the remains didn't just accidentally wind up where they wound up. They had to be moved to those locations. And you think about the nature in which the remains are found. You know, one thing that's kind of a thread that runs through this is the fact that you've got bags that are associated with this. That that implies an attempt to maintain con- containment. And when it comes to blood, tissue, you're painstakingly having to wrap something. Now, they may not have been wrapped like you would think if somebody went to a butcher shop and ordered, you know, uh, a piece of meat where they wrap it in butcher paper and tape it up and all that sort of thing. But still, they're wrapped and individually. And so that's that's key, I think. And the person, uh, it it also has a lot of insight into the individual that would feel comfortable enough to take remains and load them into their own vehicle and transport them a specific distance to the deposition site. 100% agree. 
they don't have any fear of being pulled over. They they're comfortable. They 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 know where all the intersections are. They know where people are walking. They know what time of day to show up. That says a lot to me, at least, about the person that would have taken Melissa's remains, loaded them up, and then deposited them. Well, it certainly takes away a stranger. I mean, a stranger wouldn't know where her husband worked. And again, this road is very narrow. You know it. Yeah. And on one whole side, it's lined with woods and then a little divot in railroad tracks. And then on the other side, nothing but small businesses. Yeah, and I, I got to uh, interject something right here. Avon Avenue, uh, I am <laughs> very familiar with Avon Avenue <laughs> over the course of over the course of my career. Uh, it's it's probably in the top five streets in Atlanta that I worked deaths on. I won't say they were all homicides, but I worked a lot of deaths on Avon. And in case anyone's wondering, yeah, I do have a number one street in Atlanta. It's, it's called James P. Brawley for whatever reason. Uh, I caught a lot of cases on James P. Brawley over the years. And we used to think about that quite a bit at the medical examiner's office when I worked there. But yeah, so Avon Avenue, I would say that to find a body on Avon Avenue, if you're a police officer, uh, maybe even if you're a resident there and you're walking about and you, you notice something, uh, would not necessarily be a shock because it's not like it's unheard of. However, even given that callous, you know, I used that word earlier, you know, that that, <laughs> that comes along with death. And certainly I think maybe to a certain degree, people that frequent that area, even with that thrown into the mix, the condition in which she was found would even shocked the most hard-hearted uh, uh, among us, I think, the most jaded, if you will, because it's, it's truly, it's truly a, a shocking thing to come across a dismemberment, and that's plainly what we have in this case. And again, that, that goes to a particular type of person that would be capable of doing this, because not only do you, uh, in cases of dismemberment that I've worked throughout my career, I was always kind of interested in the individual that had done this, because most of the time, now I have had cases where individuals have had drug overdoses, and and they might not have had a hand in the drug overdose, but they would uh, attempt to dismember the body so that they could get rid of the, the body, so that the body wasn't around. But when you begin to think about somebody that would perpetrate a homicide, and then you have to take it to another level beyond that. That's what's so shocking, I think. And when you really sit down and you begin to think about this, and you think about who, who would be capable of doing who would want to do this? Because you would, you would take, take a person, this beautiful young woman, and destroy her life by killing her, and knowing full well that she's got babies, and that she's got a family and that she works and that life is hard and her life is going to end this way. You know, it doesn't just stop with the homicide. It's the desecration of her remains. It's a very, a very disrespectful thing. And I think that's the part for me. You've already killed her. I mean, it's already as bad as it almost can be. You've done the worst thing to her almost that you could do to her. Her life has ended, but you don't stop there. And this, as you're saying, this was a process. 
This took equipment. This took time. This took items like Clorox and trash bags and a saw. This wasn't a quick, easy accomplishment. No, it wasn't. And that, that's the thing about dismemberments. Uh, that sounds so odd coming out of my mouth because I think, uh, you know, uh, people are kind of taken aback when you say say those sorts of things. But, you know, we in forensics, we think about these things, you know, and you have to. It's like you were talking about earlier, uh, Cheryl, where you, you have to consider these things and bear witness to them and then make sense out of them. You have to get past the bearing witness to in order to get down to the science of it. You know, when you see this case, you you think about, and rightly you mentioned, you have to have uh, instruments in order to pull this off. I think many people assume that this is going to be a very easy undertaking, and it's not. Because not only do you have to have appropriate tools in order to do this, you have to understand at some level, something about anatomy. And it doesn't necessarily have to be human anatomy. It could be animal anatomy. You have to understand where the weakest points of the body are in order to uh, take advantage of that. Because sawing, whether it is a handheld saw or a mechanical saw, is not something that's to be undertaken lightly. And then there's the human element of it, because it's not simply about using a saw. Uh, many times what I have found in cases of dismemberment is that the killer soon realizes, or the person that's doing the dismembering soon realizes, that they can't just use a saw because they have to get through soft tissue. And many times a saw is insufficient to that task. I think a lot of people believe that, well, if I just have a saw, I can make this happen and it'll make it easier. Well, not necessarily. A lot of it depends upon the type of saw that you're using. Sometimes you have to use a knife to get through soft tissue. I mean, we do in the morgue. I'll be perfectly blunt with you. We use saws in the morgue and you have to be able to get down to those bony structures in order to to do this because one thing you quickly discover is that if you try to go through a body with a saw and you're going through soft tissue, you wind up making a bigger mess than you anticipated making. Whereas if if you trimmed away soft tissue and you went directly through bone, um, it's neater, it's quicker, and it's not as over the top as going through soft tissue, muscle, uh, vessels, all those sorts of things that are involved in attacking the entire body with a saw. And so people generally learn that on their first pass at at dismembering a body. They suddenly come to the conclusion, oh, I need to trim this away in order to make this work. That's one of the things that has always happened and in, in many cases where people, you know, suddenly had a, a revelatory moment, I think, when they're up to their, their elbows and blood tissue. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. 
Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Does sleeping hot keep you up at night? Meet the Lisa Chill Collection. These cooling mattresses work like magic with a cool-to-the-touch cover, zoned springs, and comfy foam layers. Say goodbye to restless nights and wake up refreshed. Lisa's Chill Mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers that whisk away heat, so you always sleep just right. These hybrids blend up to 1,032 breathable springs and plush foams for the ultimate cooling and comfort. And the Chill Collection doesn't just feel great, it looks great too with thoughtful design and pillowy quilt tops. No matter your budget, Lisa has a chill mattress for you. For a limited time, save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash iHeart. With Lisa, your purchase has purpose. Every year, Lisa donates thousands of mattresses to those in need. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. With the cases that you have worked where there was a beheading, was there also a dismemberment of the arms and legs, or is that rare for even you? Not necessarily. One of the the interesting things that you'll find with dismemberment cases, and I'm talking about cases that I've personally worked in and cases that I've covered as a forensics analyst in, in the news, is that people go in thinking that they're going to complete the task. That's what's so curious about Melissa's case, is that we have dismemberment of the head and then the limbs, but torso has never been found. And the torso is is the biggest task. It contains the most weight and it is the biggest mess. And I'm just, you know, we, we talked about how graphic this conversation would be, but this is the reality of it. That's your true nemesis. How do you quarter a human remain to the point where it is, um, there is utility in your movement? Because remember, we started the conversation off talking about deposition of remains, you know, the depositing of her remains out in this location along Avon and I think uh, Harford Avenue. It's like a an intersection. Uh, Cross Street, I think, was Harford, Harford and Avon. And, uh, well, there were, you know, two separate, you know, incidents here, but relative to deposition. But what happens to the torso? Because that's going to be... Uh, when you're talking about head and extremities, I'm not saying that it's easy. That is the easier of the tasks, though, because now you're left with 
this torso that is, you know, by all rights, the most problematic to get rid of, what are you going to do with it? You know, a, a, an arm, a leg, even a head, that's something that can be taken and disposed of quite readily. I started my career off in South Louisiana, and, you know, there were a number of cases where people would decapitate bodies and toss it into the swamp, and they would never be seen again. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking right now, I'm reflecting back, you know where I'm going with this, is the the uh, the Derman case. We still have, they have still yet to find Mr. Derman's head uh, in that particular case. And so you think about that, but when you're talking about torso, that's a true obstacle for a perpetrator. And you have to think about, well, what would they have done with it? One of the interesting things, I think, is looking back on this case and thinking about it, I wonder if the perpetrator, for whatever reason, sat around and considered, what am I going to do with the remains? I've done this horrible thing. I've I've killed this beautiful woman. I have essentially taken her apart. You've got the easy part with the extremities and the head, and you just take them and you you toss them away randomly. But then you get back, and what are you going to do with the torso? Is it something that you didn't take with you out there? You know, because my mind would think, well, okay, we found extremities and we found a head. And granted, it was in, you know, days apart when these were found. Why would there not be a torso out there somewhere? So you think, well, did this individual just get fed up? And frustrated and decided, well, this is really going to stand out. So they went to the closest dumpster. Maybe they went to a distant dumpster. Because if you wrapped a torso up in plastic bags and you don't have, you know, what we refer to as dumpster divers that are going to come along, that torso could be in the Fulton County landfill, never to be seen again. Certainly uh, this far down the line, it, it would be gone completely by now. That could very well be what happened. Because I can tell you one thing, this would not be something that would be easily disposed of with fire and not not be noticed. There's a lot of pedestrian traffic in this area. Traditionally, there always has been. You've got a certain level of homeless population that lives in that area. You've got people that just like to walk. You've got people that many times are engaged in, um, hmm, let's just say, nefarious behavior many times. They they notice things. People notice things out there. That's why I think that whoever did this was very familiar with the area. They felt a certain level of comfort. I think, and, and to a certain degree, you can't discount the possibility of laziness, you know, access and opportunity. If it was this husband and he worked very, very close to this area, for all I know, he may have gone out, you know, at some point in time and had a smoke break and then suddenly you know, notice this area. Maybe, I don't know, he, he he went for a walk around the area at some point in time. He saw, you know, he saw low-growth scrub. Maybe he ventured off into, an, um, you know, uh, an abandoned lot. So he had, he had kind of a feel for it and would understand it and understand the people because all you have to do at that business, the glass company, you can get an old chair and sit there out on the loading dock or whatever and just watch people just walk up and down the street. They'll wave at you. 
you know, after a period of time, they come by, they ask you for things, you interact with them. And over a period of time, as you're there, you begin to know the neighborhood because you're kind of part of the neighborhood. So that, that implies kind of a comfort and it, it goes, and this is nothing new under the sun. Again, you know, when you're profiling crimes and you think about this, people that do profiling, they often talk about that perpetrators many times act in their own areas, those areas that they feel the most comfort with in order to do these deeds. It's not like, you know, he, he would have done this and then driven, I don't know, driven to Valdosta, Georgia to look for a spot to deposit her body. I don't know. Maybe this man had a history in Valdosta, Georgia, but I guarantee he didn't feel as comfortable down there as he would where her body was originally found. Well, let me ask you this. If Melissa were, in fact, pregnant, which is something she's told a judge, something she told her mother, do you think if he believed that she was pregnant and if her husband was responsible for this murder, do you think he would have buried his child, meaning her torso? Wow, that's a fascinating point when you think about it. That goes to an idea that we talk about in clandestine burials, and it is the construct or of, uh, of memorialization of the dead. Profilers talk about it a lot because you, you think about what happens in the case of memorializing? What are, you, what are you talking about? Well, it means that even though somebody is dead, you take care of the body and the way you treat it afterwards. Well, isn't that a fascinating thing to think about? Because if Melissa had, in fact, been pregnant, and she has mentioned this, her torso essentially becomes a coffin. Just let that sink in just for a second. People have probably entertained this and probably I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm the brightest man on earth. People have probably thought about this. You know, her, her body is a conveyance for this unborn child. And somewhere deep in the dark recesses of an individual's mind, they might look at her body that way, maybe unconsciously. I'm going to treat this in a special way because it conveys the, the body of my unborn child. And so they treat it differently. But it seems like a lot of trouble to go to because, you know, the entire body essentially is a vessel for the child. Why not take the body and bury it intact? But it becomes a bit more unmanageable if that's what you're doing. Uh, torso alone is more manageable, but yet it's very difficult to dispose of. So I would be fascinated, really be fascinated out in that area in particular, because there's, there were uh, at one time a lot of abandoned structures that were out in that area. Um, there were some kind of wooded areas, you know, with low-growth scrub and that sort of thing. Has the area over the years been gone over sufficiently? At that time, if, if the torso had been wrapped separately, which it would have had to have been to prevent deposition of blood either at the scene or in in a vehicle that people would really notice it really stand out relative to the torso you would look for early on you would look for turn to earth out in those areas because you know people that do actual clandestine burials they think that if they turn the soil put a body into a hole that they've dug and then take the 
the soil that they've recently turned, put it back on top of it and then pat it down, it all looks the same and it doesn't. It never does. You destroy the vegetation that's on top of the earth. You've certainly destroyed the continuity and the physical composition of the soil that may have been there for a hundred years and has never had a tool put to it. So it's, it stands out to people that are trained to look at that sort of thing. You know, they look at the what's called the topography of, of a location when it comes to clandestine burials. So I, I really wonder if if a thorough search of that entire area was done, those areas that would have been readily accessible to the prime suspect that would have been familiar with the area. Well, that's one thing we tried to do with Trace Sargent, you know, Trace. And she went out there and worked her two dogs and they both independently hit on a area, the same area. And so we thought, let's get some ground penetrating radar out here. Like, let's do this thing for exactly what you're talking about. And to give listeners a, a visual of what Joe Scott's talking about, imagine underground just a series of triangles. Where you dig and put the ground back, the triangles are upside down. So visually, you can see that part of the soil that's been disturbed, just what he's saying. And visually, on ground penetrating radar, you can see it. And if there's something under there, like, bones or rods or guns or whatever you might be looking for, you can see it. So, I mean, again, I think it's maybe something we need to go back and search the other side. We searched to the left, but I think we need to go to the right, especially with what you're talking about with geographical profiling. Y'all know good and well, I could not talk to Joe Scott Morgan for just one episode. Once we got on a roll, we just could not stop. So join us again next week as Dr. Death leads us to the conclusion of what he believes happened to Melissa Wolfenberger. And I just want to tell everybody something real quick. Joe Scott is one of those folks, he don't want nothing from you. But if he can do something for you, he's going to be the first person at your front door. And this podcasting game is competitive. And... (laughs) There are some cutthroat folks out there. And when I thought, well, okay, I might try this, he was the first person I called. And I said, do you have any advice? And his classic response, Shug, have a seat. (laughs) (laughs) He told me the good and the bad and the ugly and what I needed to look out for and, you know, was so supportive to the point he walked me through every step that you would need to take in order to set one up and even be remotely ready for that first launch. And then he calls me. He calls me a lot and he gives me advice and he reminds me and he encourages me and supports me. And that's something y'all wouldn't know. And again, he don't want no accolade. He's probably not happy I'm saying this now, but his (laughs) podcast is so good. Y'all need to click off this one and go to his immediately. (laughs) But he's that great that he's like, of course, I'll come on yours. And I just want everybody to know he is not only a part of my zone seven, he lives that philosophy for a lot of us. And so I just want to publicly thank you for who you've been to me for a long time. And I appreciate everything about you. Thank you, Mac. I'm Cheryl McCollum, and this is Zone 7.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.